Welcome to Chasing Dramas. This is the podcast that discusses Chinese culture and history through historical Chinese dramas. We are your hosts, Karen and Kathy. Today, we are discussing episode one of the story of Yanxi Palace or Yanxi Gonglue. This podcast is in English with proper nouns and certain Chinese phrases spoken in Mandarin Chinese. For these podcast episodes, we first do a drama episode recap and then discuss the culture and history portrayed in the drama episode. I personally totally forgot just how much history and culture is showcased in episode one of this drama, so hang on tight as we share all of our research. And to be honest, we don't get through all of it, so you'll have to stay tuned for further episodes so that we get through everything. If you are new to the podcast, welcome! Do check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Chasing Dramas, and also visit us on our website at ChasingDramas.com. If you like what you hear or have any feedback, please leave us a rating on whatever platform you listen to us to. It will help us bring you more content. In episode one of the story of Yanxi Palace, we are back at Zijincheng, or the Forbidden Palace in Beijing, this time under the reign of Emperor Qianlong. I don't think I can overstate just how many dramas were filmed about Qianlong, or at least under his reign, because it was just easy. There's so much material about him. Uh, at least until recently. We've seen a pause, and I would say in the last five years, but before that, in the 1990s and 2000s, so many dramas were filmed during the reign of Qianlong Emperor. There's a reason. I gently touched up on it in the last episode. The drama starts with the sixth year of Qianlong's reign, and instead of following a court official's daughter's journeys, as we did in Empresses in the Palace or Zhen Huan Chuan, we start our journey following a number of palace maids. But just like Empresses in the Palace, the story begins on the day of Xuan Xiu. This is the grand process whereby the emperor selects women to become concubines in his harem. Like we mentioned in the last episode, we will try our best to not repeat history or information that we already discussed in Zhen Huan Zhuan or Empresses in the Palace. However, in the first couple of episodes in Yanxi Gonglue or the story of Yanxi Palace, we will have to repeat some information just to get everyone situated and remind everyone of the context for which this drama sets itself. Yet, because there have been so many Qing Dynasty palace dramas before Yan Xi Gonglue, and also thanks to Empresses in the Palace, but I think it's just because I'm biased and <laughs> we love Zhen Huan Zhuan so much, we are immediately shown that women eligible for the selection process are born of higher status than the women who are maids. In any case, our main character Wei Yingluo is in a procession of maids that accidentally bump into a young woman who is awaiting the selection process, or you would call her a xiongnu. She doesn't really stay long in the drama, so that's why I'm like, eh, what does call her xiongnu? This woman is extremely angry at the maid who bumped into her accidentally and caused her dress. Uh, and shoes to be ruined. This Xiongnu wants to punish the maid. Luckily, our main character Wei Yingluo 
steps in and immediately quells the conflict by artfully creating a fragrant powder for the shulnu to step on because her shoes has uh, lotus flowers etched on to the bottom. After stepping onto the powder, each step this woman takes leaves traces of the lotus flower and is quite fragrant. The Xiongnu is extremely pleased with this turn of events as it means that it may bring her additional attention during the selection process. And so she lets Wei Yingluo and her friends leave. In this one scene, we are introduced to the fact that Wei Yingluo, our main character, is a quick thinker and learned. She references an interesting anecdote to appease the Xiongnu, which we'll explain later in this podcast episode. We're shown that these Xiongnu can be condescending and brutal towards staff, but within the maids, we're already seeing cracks from between the young women. In my mind, when watching these shows or these dramas, I'm always thinking, Hmm, how many episodes would this woman survive in the palace? Or maybe me, how many episodes will I survive in this palace? We'll see just that in a bit. On this important day for the emperor or the palace, it's not just the women who are eager to show off, but it is an important day for the existing women in the palace to assess their competition. Our serene and graceful empress, in pale colors and minimal hair accessories, is shown as not being too bothered by the whole affair. Meanwhile, Gao Guifei, or noble consort Gao, is shown to be much more jealous. Her makeup is certainly more aggressive with her smoky eyes, an elaborate hairstyle, and is very much ready to go and watch these young women. To be honest, she reminds me a lot of Hua Fei in Zhen Huan Zhuan, or Empresses in the Palace. Shortly after, our Emperor Qianlong arrives in full court attire. I am bringing in my views of the world now and reiterating how important Zhen Huan Zhuan, or Empresses in the Palace, was to explaining Qing Dynasty traditions. And uh, Qing Dynasty palace dramas after that. So Empresses in the Palace came out in 2011 and a lot of Qing Dynasty dramas came out after that. This current drama came out in 2018. This means that us as the viewer aren't even given an explanation of what the concubine selection process is anymore. It's just assumed that you know because of these dramas. Or yeah, it's because it's assumed that you have watched Zhen Huan Zhuan and know the levels of the concubines. Or at least this is like really what it means to be. This really is our view. And in all of the articles that we researched that were published about uh, Yan Xi Gong Lie, we're like, oh, after Zhen Huan Zhuan, this is another palace drama. And so it, it's just assumed that you know all of these things because of Zhen Huan Zhuan. In this case, for women eligible for the selection process, they are quite young. We see them being announced as 15 or 16. Those who are not selected are given a flower. After a couple of really quite brutal comments towards a selection of young women that step forward, 
our rude Xiongnu from earlier is called forth and leaves behind the imprint of the lotus flower on the floor. In an instant, everyone, meaning Gao Guifei, the emperor and empress, notices, and she is called out, the Xiongnu. But instead of being impressed like the Xiongnu was hoping for, she is immediately severely chastised by the emperor himself for referencing a wicked woman in order to mimic her. This Xiongnu is ruthlessly dragged out of the room, where not only she, but her father will be punished as well. Clearly, this court selection process is not an easy one, and trying to gain favors through these paltry tricks are not going to help. This also hints at, hmm, the upbringing and intelligence of this woman for having believed the likes of Wei Yingluo when Wei Yingluo was like, oh, doing this, uh, stepping on this powder will help you. Mm, no, this anecdote didn't help because, as we'll explain later, it only hurt her, this Xiongnu. In this quick succession of scenes with the court selection process and these young women, uh, we are shown that the emperor is not someone to be trifled with and is quite brilliant and blunt in his criticisms, while his wife, the empress, is much more forgiving. Gao Guifei, on the other hand, is um, quite critical and condescending as well. At least to start, this drama keeps up with what one would expect the intelligence levels should be in the palace. Again, because we have all watched Empresses of the Palace, we expect that people are, or the emperor, empress, and the seasoned folks in the palace are aware of all of these palace tricks. After all, Hua Fei from Zhen Huanzhuan would have disposed of this Xiongnu very quickly as well. Meanwhile, Wei Yingluo and her group of maids are showing off their needlework to see if they can stay as seamstresses in the palace. In this battlefield, the maids hmm, also have no chill. Ji Xiang, whose hand was injured earlier, bled onto her fabric, which rendered her work worthless. Ji Xiang was the one who uh, accidentally bumped into the now dragged away Xiongnu, and her hand was stepped on by the Xiongnu, and so now she's bleeding. And so Ji Xiang's fabric is, or embroidery, is now worthless. She's rather distraught, but Yin Luo steps in and swaps their fabrics. She decides to help Ji Xiang. The end result, when the inspecting eunuch arrives to evaluate each, each woman's uh, embroidery, was that there were two finely crafted pieces from Yin Luo. But when one of the maids tried to expose the two women for cheating, Ying Luo shows that the two designs actually complement each other. It's not cheating at all. The inspecting eunuch agrees and drags off the woman who cried foul. This is a rather shocking event and teaches the maids that random accusations are not tolerated in the palace, even for maids. In any event, Ying Luo, Ji Xiang, and a number of other maids pass their inspection and are kept to continue working in the palace. Back at the court selection process, the emperor only agrees to keep one young woman, Na Lan Chuanxue, because she has three ear piercings, which is a reflection of maintaining Manchu customs. We'll talk about this later on in the drama, but this one thing caught the emperor's eye for its importance to their Manchu heritage. Right after her, the emperor walks off, leaving the empress to manage the remainder of the event. Gao Guifei 
noble consort Go, seeing that the emperor left, saunters off as well. After the event and back at each woman's respective palaces, we first turn to the empress's palace. Her maid Mingyu is furious on behalf of her master for how noble consort Gao disrespected the empress. The empress's other maid, Er Qing, is more understanding and tries to calm Mingyu down. Shortly afterwards, a number of maids appear with a plaque with the words Jing Xiu Nei Zhe and a painting of Tai Si Hui Zi Tu or Lady Tai Si instructing her son. Once these are received, the Empress's face immediately hardens and turns away. The maids accept the painting but leave the Empress first in peace and quiet. We learn that the Empress is still currently grieving the death of her son, the second prince. According to historical reports, the second prince, Yonglian, passed away three years earlier at the age of eight and was the firstborn son of the empress. She has become much colder towards the emperor after her son's passing, and their relationship has not yet been restored to their original state, even though it's evident that the emperor cares dearly for his empress. The empress, or Huang Hou, is also shown as a woman who does not want to play the games of the imperial harem and seeks peace rather than engaging in the games. While the empress does not say anything about the painting she received, the maids speculate what they think the gifted painting means. It seems, though, that the empress is not the only person to have received a painting. Elsewhere, Gao Guifei is fuming because she received a Si Lin Jiao Tan Tu, or a painting of Lady Si Lin and the silkworms. But she is calmed down by another concubine, Jia Pin, who tells her that the emperor gifted 12 paintings to women in the palace, each with their own meaning. It is not specifically to humiliate one woman or another, which Gao Guifei assumed. Jia Pin then goes on to list a whole list of paintings, which is going to kill us uh, to research and translate, but we'll try our best for the next episode. Gao Guifei is calmed down by hearing this and evaluates her next steps. Elsewhere, we are introduced to Xian Fei, played by Charmaine She, who has also received a painting, but is pestered by her mother, who wants Xian Fei to rise even further in the palace to help their family. Her mother is a very familiar face to all of us. Yes, so familiar. Xianfei ignores the uh, verbal abuses by her mother and instead prays for her husband, the emperor, and his good health. This shows us that she is currently a conflict-avoidant and caring woman, even if her husband does not spend too much time with her. But what is it with these paintings? Why did the emperor gift all of these out? His head eunuch poses the question to him only for the emperor to reveal that he sent them as a prank. He thinks that uh, the women in his palace are too bored, or the word that he uses is xian, which just means that they have, you know, really nothing to do. And when women have nothing to do, he thinks that they cause a lot of problems, which I can totally see. Not about women, but just in general, when people are bored, they create conflict to ease their boredom. So the emperor was like, hmm, why don't I just 
give these gifts to all the women so that they will be racking their brains to figure out exactly what the deeper meaning is, which will leave him with some peace and quiet for at least a short period of time. Can you believe that? The emperor did this all as a joke. Wow. This is a very different emperor than we have seen in Empresses in the Palace. I don't think we've seen uh, Yongzheng joke like this with his women. The episode ends with consort, noble consort Gao or Gao Guifei calling a meeting with the ladies in the harem to discuss the latest comings and goings. I'm not going to lie. Um, Kathy will also mention this, I think, is that these women, I totally just like could not tell who was who for the end scene. So the most important information from this scene are the people who are missing. We are missing a Chun Fei and a Yu Guiren. We will see more of them later. And that wraps up episode one in terms of plot recap. Oh, that took a while. Before we jump into the history of the drama, Karen, why don't we talk about why this first episode drags us, the viewer, in so quickly? I'll start with number one. First, we're introduced to our heroine, Wei Ying Luo. Unlike many other dramas, she is not a Sha Bai Tian or a silly, sweet, and innocent girl. She comes right out of the gate with her claws out. What do I mean? She came into the palace with a mission and she's not to be trifled with. How many times have we seen the innocent woman rise up to become the calculating, scheming, I don't know, ruler? Often. Winner. Often. Basically, every time. This, however, shows us with a weighing law who's ready to fight right off the bat. And quite frankly, it's a breath of fresh air. Wing Luo is a badass from the very first episode. Second, we are also introduced to the other established women of the Imperial Harem and their various characterizations. We have the beautiful and serene Empress. She's just so lovely. When she goes on the scene or like on the screen, I'm like, oh my God, you're so pretty. Side note, I love Xinlan, who is the actress for the Empress's voice. It is very soothing. I mm, will admit, begrudgingly have loved it since her role as Zhihua in Pearl Princess 3. That character was very deliciously evil, but her voice is excellent. I will say also that because, again, I'm going to bring up Jin Huanzhuan, that we're so used to a Huang Ho who was this evil person that we're like, hmm... This empress seems actually really, really nice. And I would like to think that she is truly nice, not fake nice, as with the Huang Ho and Jin Huanzhuan. So we're just like, oh, this is also quite different. Mm-hmm. Yep. So we also have noble consort Gao, who just does her thing. And we also, of course, have Charmaine Xie, who right now isn't bothered with the newcomers in the selection. Like Karen said, I don't remember the faces and the names of everybody else. Bear with us. So if you don't remember who anybody is or what other people look like, uh, it's not just you. I am totally at fault there, too. Third, we have an emperor who is handsome. Nia Yuan was and is a very handsome guy. In the past, we haven't seen many 
quote-unquote, in their prime portrayals of emperors. The dramas are either of the emperor in his late 40s or 50s or older, so we didn't really understand why women fell heads over heels over the emperors. Oh, yeah, definitely. There were some with um, Zhang Tilin, who was like, and also, what's his name? Um, Zhang Guoli. You're just like, dude, this guy's so old. You're 20 <laughs> to 30. Why, why are you so interested? But then here with Nia Yun, you're like, ah, I get it. <laughs> yeah, you're a good-looking guy. He was in his late 30s, maybe early 40s when he filmed the drama, but he still looks great, right? I'll say sorry to Yongzheng, the emperor from Empresses in the Palace, and your nickname, Pancake Face, because Nia Yun does uh, much better here. Your son has you totally beat. This, I think, is also one of the rare chances where we hear, or I hear, Nia Yun's real voice in a costume drama. Usually that's dubbed. So it's a double treat for us here. And I think it does really well because he's a, he has a very low and deep voice. Mm-hmm. So you have that gravitas as an emperor. Mm-hmm. And finally, for a first episode, we get to the plot really quickly. Wei Yingluo is on a mission. She's in the palace to uh, get to the bottom of whatever her plot is or mission is. And that's it. We want to see what's happening. So that pushes us to the next episode. Those are all the reasons why episode one of the story of Yeti Palace heads off on a good start. And so now let's talk about some history and culture. For the first couple of components, we definitely talked about this in Empresses in the Palace, but we will reiterate here just for new listeners and also to remind everyone what's going on. The main setting of this drama is the emperor's harem or Gong. Though it means harem in English, the direct translation is palace in the back. <laughs> it contrasts with Tian Chao, which is the emperor's court in which he conducts his ruling affairs. But the direct translation of those two words are front court for Tian Chao. So as you can see, the emperor has to work around both aspects of his life, the court for ruling and the harem for his progeny. There is a clear delineation of his roles and, of course, the role of women. In this drama, we see the harem from the eyes of a maid, so we see how difficult it is to survive as a lowly palace servant rather than a woman from a high-ranking family. We see already that it is still quite challenging to be from a highly-ranking family, so you can imagine how much harder it is to be a palace maid. The women that reside in Ho Gong place their fortunes for the rest of their lives on how many children she can have for the emperor and how successful these children are. To ensure purity of the bloodline, there is literally only one man in Ho Gong. The men that serve the consort or concubines are all eunuchs. For those that need a reminder, these eunuchs are typically castrated at a young age and they grow up in the palace to serve the members at court. Eunuchs have been employed by the imperial household for thousands of years and were quite quintessential to palace life. So none of the palace ranks are described anymore. 
Um, we will put that here as a reminder for our listeners. Women in the Imperial Harem have rankings, and your rank depends on a number of factors. Your age, your favoritism with the emperor, the number of children you have, your family connections, and how long you've been in the palace. You must be appointed the rank by either the emperor, the empress dowager, or the empress. It's usually emperor. A quick recap on the ranks in the Qing Dynasty. You have one empress, or Huang Hou, that rules the harem on behalf of the emperor. She is what is considered the main wife. Every other woman is, or supposed to be, subservient to her. There is then a Huang Guifei, or the imperial noble consort. Then the next rank is Guifei, or the noble consort. Here in the drama, we have Gao Guifei, so she is a noble consort. Then four women are appointed Fei or consort. So we've seen or heard of Xian Fei, which is Charmaine's character, and we've also heard of Chun Fei. The next tier is Pin, or imperial concubine. Of the above ranks, you are able or allowed to have your own control of your palace quarters. You can refer to yourself as Ben Gong, or owner of the palace, and servants will address you as Niang Niang. Anything below that, and you must live and listen to the Fei consort or Pin or imperial concubine who runs that palace. Of course, if you are tasked to live elsewhere, you must do so. Below Pin, which is the imperial concubine, you have Guiren, noble lady, Chang Zai, first class female attendant, or Daying, second class female attendant. Servants will address you as Xiao Zhu, which means little master. Typically, every three years or so, there is a selection process where women from all over the empire are sent and assessed as to whether or not she can be a concubine in the imperial harem or hougong. This practice has also been around for millennia. Part of the reason this is done uh, so frequently is to ensure, again, that there is a healthy line of offspring. People die of illness or childbirth or of a drama that occurs in the palace, so people need to be continuously replaced. We're putting it this lightly. It's women that needs to be replaced. Again, let's put this in the backdrop. China has always been, or previously was, a very, very misogynistic place. Or patriarchal society. Exactly. Additionally, sometimes women uh, that are servants will potentially catch the eye of the emperor. Many try to seduce the emperor. At least in this drama, we see that our emperor is quite uh, observant and is not as, I guess, susceptible to these types of wiles. However, if a servant woman is successful, these women will turn from the servant to owner. That is how they improve their careers. Several of these women have been or have become incredibly powerful through this route. In the, this drama, our own Wei Ying Luo rises from the ranks of a maid. But let's just say her motives aren't purely about the emperor. So I just said that the emperor was, you know, rather observant, but eh, not in the case of Wei Ying Luo. 
We do also want to highlight the titles and names just so people aren't confused. We may alternate how characters are addressed. Normally, people have their given name and their given titles. It is the same as English. You have the Duchess of Cambridge, but her name is Catherine. In Chinese history for the harem, you are generally called the rank plus your last name, unless formally given a title by the emperor, empress or empress dowager. So, for example, if I am a consort with the rank of Fei and my last name is Gao, I would be called Gao Fei. But if I'm given a title, for example, Chun, I will be referred to as Chun Fei. I hope that makes sense. But instead, also, just because my title is Chun Fei, I still have my real name. We'll, we'll try to do our best to make it clear. Uh, we did so in Empress in the Palace, and we'll try to do so for this story as well. Like we mentioned, the selection or xuanxiu translates to selecting beauties. And it is a way for young ladies from prominent families to enter into the palace. In the Qing Dynasty. We will call it the selection. So how does it work? It's pretty simple. In the drama, at least, um, ladies from specific banners are selected for the final round interview, and they are presented to the emperor and empress in small groups. The emperor and the empress will evaluate you on a number of factors. Obviously, your beauty, your family line, and how well you perform on that day. If you're chosen to stay to be a concubine in the palace, uh, in this drama, it's not very clear. It just says you're, you're, you're um, allowed to stay. Otherwise, you're given a flower and sent home. The whole process is very long and arduous. There are many, many levels of selection. So if you're not from the capital city of Beijing, you come from the provinces, then many people have to first go through uh, and review you before you actually make it to the capital. It is, of course, a huge honor to stay in the capital or make it to the capital selection and even greater honor to become a concubine. It elevates the status of your family to have produced a daughter worthy of the emperor. To that point, it is hard to catch the eye of the emperor. So that's why women try all manner of tactics, like we see in the drama, to catch the emperor's eye. Which then brings us to two specific topics that I want to talk about afterwards. For listeners of Empresses in the Palace, I hope this was just a quick recap. For others, hopefully this will clear up some of the questions you might have watching this first episode because all of it is just thrown at you. And the drama expects for you to know it. Okay, with all of that recap kind of out of the way in terms of history... Let's talk about what happened in this drama. The first is Bu Bu Sheng Jing Lian, which is a negative anecdote. The one poor evil woman up for selection was foolish enough to believe that lotus flowers from her shoes would catch the eye of the emperor. Alas, she was dragged away and thoroughly dismissed. So what's the story behind this? And why did it seem at first to be a good idea? Bu Bu Sheng Jinglian means a golden lotus behind every foot. The story comes from the scandalous relationship between Pan Fei 
and the Southern Qi Emperor Xiao Bao Juan. This guy ruled from 498 AD to 501. You know something's wrong when he only ruled for like three years. <laughs> Anyways, this guy Xiao Bao Juan elevated this woman. Uh, Pan Yunu to the rank of noble consort or Guifei. He was a terrible ruler. He ordered uh, his subjects' homes to be destroyed so he could build new palaces for his beloved consort. As one example of why he was not a good ruler, he even ordered holy items from Buddhist temples to be melted and recast as accessories for her. Uh, yeah, that's not a good luck. With the new palaces he built. He had golden lotuses built on the floor and had his concubine, noble consort Pan, walk on the golden lotuses so that each step would be a golden lotus. That's the origin story for Bu Bu Sheng Jin Lian. From then on, the phrase Jin Lian or golden lotus has been used to describe women's feet. That actually shows up quite a bit in books or in. Dramas or idioms to describe、uh, a woman's feet that are delicate. That are delicate is also、um, Chinese men had like a whole foot fetish thing <laughs> we won't talk about. <laughs> As for the emperor,、uh, he did such a terrible job killing his subjects and spending lavishly that in 501 he was overthrown by another family member. Three years later, <laughs> this guy Xiao Yan killed Xiao Bao Jun. Noble Consort Pan and many other courtiers. Xiao Bao Jun was so hated by contemporaries that they stripped him of his emperor title and left him as Dong Kun Ho, or、uh, our translation as the Eastern Tyrannical Marquis. That's pretty bad. <laughs> It's no wonder why、uh, the Emperor Qianlong, who wanted to be remembered as a positive ruler, threw a huge fit and chucked the woman with the shoes、uh, out. I mean, who wouldn't? This woman basically said that she wanted to pull the emperor into depravity. But again, that shows a that Wei Yingluo was smart enough to have this anecdote. But when she was talking about it, she skillfully made it seem that this was a good thing to have such attention from the emperor. It also just meant that this、uh, Xiaonu was not intelligent enough to know the true story and meaning behind this. 步步生金莲 But the fortunes of another woman during this selection changed for the better because of what she did. Please, listeners, pay attention to all of the earrings that the ladies wear in this first episode. Notice how the Empress Huang Hou and all the concubines have three ear piercings for each ear. This is very much true to history. It is an old Manchu tradition that dates back to before the Qing Dynasty. So think before 1644 even. And currently we're in what 1741. The phrase is "yi er san qian," or "one ear, three rings, or three dangles." Manchu girls had their ears pierced when they were babies and kept wearing the earrings until a very old age. In the early years of the dynasty, the Qing Dynasty, it wasn't clearly stated how many piercings women had to have. So, if you look at portraits, some empresses and concubines had four to five piercings in one ear. 
one ear piercing, on the other hand, was a Han trait. So not of the Qing dynasty or the Manchu heritage. Emperor Qianlong himself, our current emperor, in history, actually commented on the criticality of keeping this tradition. Indeed, apparently to this day, Manchu women from the northeastern provinces of China still uphold this tradition and have at least three ear piercings. So, in the drama, one of the women in the selection process caught the eye of the emperor because of her decision to keep the three piercings on each ear. Now, let's look at the ladies in the drama because each woman wears different types of earrings based on her rank. At this point in episode one, our main heroine, Wei Yingluo, has only one earring. We don't even see rings on the rest of her ear. That'll change in a couple of episodes. Let's now turn our attention towards the emperor's harem. All of the women have three piercings. The dangles themselves denote rank. The women wear Dongzhu or Eastern pearls. These pearls are extremely rare and known for their size and beauty. It's usually two pearls on one dangle. Only the Empress and the Empress Dowager are allowed to wear the rarest of these pearls. Imperial noble consorts and noble consorts such as Gao Guifei were only allowed to wear pearls of subsequent ranks or tiers. As for the rings themselves, they were made of gold, silver, copper, etc. And that also denoted rank. What's super cool about this is there is a beautiful painting of our specific empress with her three sets of earrings and dangles. You can clearly see the pearls in the painting. So kudos to the drama for bringing this to life. From a drama perspective, many productions did not require women to have three piercings, so the actresses didn't have to do it. For this particular drama, there are interviews with the cast where they discuss their decision to agree on this. And, you know, for me, that was the first thing that caught my eye when I watched the first episode a couple years back. Say, wow, three earrings? I never knew this. There are dramas that did have women with three piercings, such as Ru Yi's Love in the Palace, and even before, such as um, Xiao Zhuang Mishi, or The Legend of Empress Xiao Zhuang. But I guess I just didn't pay attention to the older ones. In Empresses in the Palace, however, they did not have the actresses have three piercings on each ear. All right. That is it for today's podcast episode on episode one of the story of Yanxi Palace or Yanxi Gongyue. Hope you all learned something new. I know I most certainly did when re-watching this drama and doing research on it. This drama is currently on YouTube, at least for those in the States, uh, with English subtitles that are pretty good. So highly recommend uh, following up. All 70 episodes are online. If you are looking for other dramas or movies to watch, please do check out our sponsor, Zhubao TV, uh, which has a number of free Chinese dramas and movies with English subtitles available on their platform. You can reach them at XUMO for streaming online, or else they have channels on Xfinity and Cox Contour, and as well as Sling TV, which they recently uh, created an agreement with. Once again, thank you all so much for listening. We will catch you in the next episode.